Figure facts for life. We just want you to be healthy. Health and happiness. If you pay attention to what goes in your body, you'll be amazed at the results. Fuel, nourish, and heal your body. Eating healthy. Well, well that's everything. Put the right fuel in. Take care of your engine. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Roberta Janeiro. Welcome to Figure Facts for Life podcast. I'm your host, Roberta Gennaro. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist with over 30 years clinical nutrition experience. I am committed to share the expertise of all the years of wisdom I have from my clinical practice, as well as the wisdom of colleagues that are practicing as dietitians, as well as research dietitians, because I just think they need, you need to hear what they're up to. So I wanted to just start out by saying you really need to bring the power of food, how to fuel, nourish, and heal your body to the forefront of your mind. And I'm hoping this podcast does this for you. Now, you've always, we've all heard the expression, use it or lose it. And when it comes to brain health, that is very true. We must keep our brains active and engaged as we age to keep them healthy. But can we be doing more? New research suggests we can aid our brain's aging process by the foods we choose. Fuel it or flop. Okay, I'm still working on a catchphrase. Here with us today, I'd like to give a warm welcome to Matthew Taylor. He's a PhD RD, postdoctoral fellow at the University of Kansas Medical Center in the Department of Dietetics and Nutrition and Neurology at the Hoagland Brain Imaging Center. Matthew conducts diet intervention trials for Alzheimer's prevention and treatment and also is looking at optimal brain aging in older adults. His research involves effects of nutrition on cognition, brain metabolism, and the Use of MRIs to measure brain volume, blood flow, and brain metabolites. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Roberta. Thank you for having me on. Now, the research you're doing is absolutely fascinating. Let's first take a look at the impact that you've seen on nutrition, on cognition, and brain metabolites, in addition to what you're doing with the MRI measurements. But I, I just really want to get your take on what's in the research as far as nutrition, on cognition, and brain metabolites. Well, well, so there's a, there's a great deal of research being done in this area. And so I think you've probably talked about this on some of your previous podcasts and had other uh, uh, healthcare providers and researchers that talked about this a bit. But um, a lot of interest rests in sort of the Mediterranean diet and the food items that you can find on those on that particular diet. Right. We actually um, had Dr. Christy Tangney from Rush Medical Center here a couple weeks ago, and she was talking about part. Parkinson's disease and, you know, the impact that the Mediterranean diet has on slowing that process down. Yeah, and so, there, uh, there are some great rushes is the location that's doing great re- research on this. And they've even kind of modified it a little bit to do uh, what they call the mind diet, which is another Alzheimer's sort of centric preventive diet. And it sort of takes that, that premise of the Mediterranean diet in a way. And it, uh, I think we're really interested in a lot of the, the specific food items so that are on that diet as well. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a lot of interest in, in things like how fish affect your brain metabolism, um, how, you know, things like olive oil and, and vegetables and berries um, affect that. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of evidence that points to the fact that if you're if you're eating a lot of these things that you can actually improve your brain metabolism um, and sort of build up a protective infrastructure around your brain. Now, when you're looking at these MRIs and looking at like brain volume or blood flow, those 
the two parameters that are linked to brain health? Yeah, so these are these are really um, you know, MRIs have been around for quite a long time, but some of the things that we can do with them now have have really evolved over the past decade to even just you know over the past couple of years. And brain volume is a really good indicator of just what does the structure of your brain look like. So we have seen evidence that if you you eat food items that are on the Mediterranean diet, that you tend to have um, older adults tend to have a larger brain volume, which would indicate a more um, sort of robust brain health that your neurons may be a little more uh, healthy. And the one that's really interesting is blood flow um, because uh, the level of blood flow getting to the brain is pretty much uh, synchronized with how much um, our brain is active from a metabolic standpoint. So it's a really good indicator of how metabolically active your brain is at a particular time. Um, And we're seeing some preliminary evidence that, that if you're eating, you know, healthier items, if you're eating some of these these items that I just mentioned previously, that you can actually improve your, your brain blood flow. Um, and we're really putting this to the test right now with some of the research that we're doing. Sounds great. So how did you get interested in working in this specific area? Because, you know, there's with nutrition, there's so many areas we could study. But what brought you to studying specifically like brain aging and Alzheimer's? So I, I've always had, uh, even whenever I was young, I had had interest in uh, nutrition. So uh, sort of personal story in a way, I do most of my research in Alzheimer's treatment and prevention. And I did, I do recall as being very young, I had a great grandma that had uh, Alzheimer's and I, I sort of remember visiting her at times, but I was, I was pretty young. So it, it really didn't have a long-term impact on me. Um, but a few years later, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Uh, so I went through my uh, my registered dietitian training and my, my uh, graduate work uh, thinking that that was the area that I would probably do most of my research in. Um, and I explored a few avenues, um, but we have this great, I, I did my work here at the uh, KU uh, medical center, um, which is where I got my PhD. And while I was doing my PhD, I got acquainted with some of the Alzheimer's disease center researchers and neurologists. And uh, they had some, we, I, we just learned that we had some overlapping interests um, from a brain metabolism standpoint. And uh, so I kind of fit in there with the intention of, of coming back to multiple sclerosis. And I still do anticipate getting in there at some point in time. But we just, the science behind Alzheimer's is fascinating to me from for one thing. Um, and then we did a rigorous dietary intervention with patients with Alzheimer's. And so that was really where my personal experience came from. I got to sort of these people became part of my life and I and theirs. And uh, it was it was a great experience. And it was a wonderful group of people to work with, got to know families and patients. And so it just, you know, it just only drove that interest further. So now I'm even more determined to be a part of this. Right. I mean, I've I've been around. Gosh, one of my very first jobs was at a facility here in Chicago. It's a, an extended care facility for uh, the aging, and uh, they had skilled care nursing floors, and there were individuals with Alzheimer's. And you know, just the they're they're just beautiful individuals. In the same token, what a debilitating disease, especially how it impacts families, because I don't think the individual themselves is so aware. Maybe they're aware as it's happening in the earlier stages, but 
as it progresses, it's really the family that's impacted in a way that's difficult. Like their you know, parents not remembering their name or, you know, a loved one, a spouse not remembering your name. I'll never forget watching Notebook. I was like crying, you know, um, with that movie. But I think when we have people like you doing this great research to identify how do we slow the process of aging of the brain, but also how do we prevent disease of the brain? And can we do that through the foods you were mentioning, through the Mediterranean diet? Like, is do epidemiological studies show that in Mediterranean countries where they're consuming this high olive oil, high omega-3 fat diet with a lot of antioxidants coming from vegetables and especially green vegetables, are the epidemiological Epidemiological studies showing they have lower incidences of brain decline, cognitive decline. Yeah, so in and you make a good point. It's it's mostly epidemiological research at this point. So it's you know taking taking observations. Um, and one thing that we know is that uh, there's this there's this common phrase you may hear, um, and that is what's good for the heart is good for the head, or what's good for the heart is good for the brain. Okay. Um, and so within uh, with Within countries in the Mediterranean, like Greece, Spain, um, Italy, there, especially in Greece, there's um, there are areas known as the blue zones, which they're thought to be uh, some of the best health health outcomes in the world. Okay. Um, and what we see is there's a relationship with cardiovascular disease, but also on the flip side of that, you also see uh, better brain outcomes through aging. So, uh, so there's there less cardiovascular disease as well as better brain aging? Yeah, so okay. um, that's, that's really primarily where we saw this, and it's just kind of carried over through longer observation that we've seen better brain mm-hmm. um, outcomes. Okay. And there's there's a bit of a reduced risk of, of neurodegenerative disease in those areas. So we, you know, we're sort of looking at, well, what are the things we can take away from that? Uh, and diet, you know, the nutrition piece of that's actually uh, one of the areas of most interest right now. So, yeah, there's, there's uh, quite a bit of epidemiological evidence. Um, and then there's one really good uh, clinical trial done in Spain called PrediMed okay. um, that, that you may be familiar with where they... Uh, ultimately looked at a Mediterranean diet um, in Spaniards and so it was it was not quite maybe the deviation in diet that you would see here in the United States because a lot of people there may have already been sort of consuming a diet that was more Mediterranean-like than what we commonly do here. Okay. Um, but even those changes in that country actually they, they saw some uh, improvement in cognition uh, in older adults that were following the, the Mediterranean diet. Um, and uh, and definitely the, the primary outcome was cardiovascular disease, and they had seen um, a lot of improvement in those measures as well. Okay, so we were uh, talking as we were preparing for this podcast about some really practical recommendations for our listeners. And the thing that came up, I mean, there's, there's people out there that are talking about, gosh, olive oil, it's so good for you. And, and there's uh, recommendations up to having, you know, 12 tablespoons 
a day or four, uh, one quart in your week. And I just, you know, really have a problem with that type of recommendation. I don't think it's practical, first of all. And to take somebody who maybe is not physically active and have them ingest over 900 calories additional in their day through olive oil, because they may not adjust other things. They may just add that olive oil, right? When they hear that. And then the next thing you know, they're starting to gain weight. And, you know, if your system doesn't handle fats as a, you know, as efficiently like mine, <laughs> I don't tend to do good on high fat diets. So the recommendation for olive oil from the research is showing what? As far as quantity of olive oil right now, that's practical and reasonable for people to incorporate. Yeah, it's, it's- at this point, it seems like somewhere between two and three tablespoons per day has uh, health benefit, especially cognitive uh, benefit. So there is some of that recommendation stems from the fact that in some of these areas, people are, are consuming a really large amount of, of olive oil. Uh, you make a good point. It's It doesn't really seem that feasible. I think I, you know, it'd be easy to burn out on 12 tablespoons of <laughs> olive oil a day. That'd be a lot of olive oil. Um, but actually, so I brought up the, the PrediMed study and they actually did a uh, kind of neat little comparison in that study where they uh, had one group that was on the Mediterranean diet that had most of their, um, a large portion of their fat coming from olive oil. And their recommendation was around four tablespoons per day is what they recommended for them to consume. Okay. Um, Another group on the Mediterranean diet was eating uh, nuts uh, at a higher quantity. And then the other group was low fat. Um, They saw that the group that was, consuming that was recommended to consume uh, four tablespoons per day of olive oil had better cognitive outcomes. But when they looked at what they were actually consuming, it was somewhere right around three tablespoons of olive oil. So they weren't consuming nearly, you know, they were getting close, but they weren't consuming uh, that four tablespoons, which is, in my view, a lot more feasible uh, to consume. And yeah, I have those concerns that if you're if you're adding that much olive oil into the diet, that um, you know that is a lot of a uh, lot of energy uh, that's being added in, and and um, it may you know there's evidence that obesity is um, could be a could be an issue negative outcomes right? on cognition. So that could you know that could potentially be you know the flip side of the coin is that you know there's a certain quantity that's good, which I'd say probably is in that two to three tablespoon range. I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's fair. And now when you look at um, cognition, what exactly are you looking at? Are you looking at memory or recall? Like what exactly are they looking at when they say they're measuring cognition and it was better in those consuming the olive oil versus so the nuts? So in, in cognition, typically in older adults, you look at uh, multiple domains of cognition and some of those may be like visual memory, verbal memory. Um, so there's multiple uh, facets of, of memory, uh, short-term and longer-term recall, okay. uh, as well as executive functions. So we look at, you know, like impulse and those kinds of things as well. So we have uh, cognitive batteries that are designed to be very sensitive to to those changes in, in particular domains. Okay. Can you share with our listeners, as we get ready to wrap this podcast, what is some of the latest research you're involved with that is showing a lot of promise for this generation in regards to brain health and cognition? Yeah. So uh, there's some, some really interesting research being done here, uh, and I'm fortunate enough to be a part of, of most all of it. <laughs> um, we do... Uh, we have a diet, uh, a diet intervention study where we're looking at uh, 
the Mediterranean diet versus a low-fat diet in uh, cognitively normal older adults. We're looking at whether or not we can use that as a, as a way to prevent Alzheimer's. So we're really putting that to the test. Um, we've done some work with those that already have Alzheimer's and uh, looked at a ketogenic diet in, in those patients. Um, and now keep in mind that this is in patients that already have Alzheimer's. We're not touting this uh, from a prevention standpoint, but gotcha. from a, a, a therapy sort of uh, approach uh, point of view yeah. for, for these patients. And we've seen some promise with that. There's others that are looking at this as well, and we have a large-scale study uh, doing that. And, and the surprising one for a lot of people is that we're looking at um, how milk affects your antioxidant pathways in your brain. Um, that's one of the really cool things we can do with the MRI machine is measure neurochemicals in the brain, and we look at a particular antioxidant called glutathione. Which is, um, my understanding, that's through. the largest um, antioxidant in the brain? Yeah, it's the primary, primary antioxidant pathway along with vitamin C in the brain. Okay. Uh, and we did a few observational studies where we looked at uh, particular intakes of dairy, uh, particularly milk, and saw that the more milk that people drank, um, really as people were approaching the recommendations of three cups per day, okay. uh, that they had the most optimal levels of glutathione in their brain. Okay. So we're now doing an inter- intervention trial where we're looking to see if we can change that glutathione from start to finish so our uh, patients are uh, low milk drinkers. Um, we provide them milk for three months, um, and we ask them to drink three cups of milk per day for that three months, and then we measure their uh, glutathione levels in their brain at the beginning and end and see whether or not we've changed that through our intervention. Now, who's funding that research? Just curious. So it's a combination of the uh, National Dairy Council as well as we have some external funding from uh, national health institutes as well. So okay. um, they're, they're uh, kind of a joint interest in this. Um, oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot in the media about dairy and, you know, a lot of people moving away from it. And some people have to because they're allergic. Right. But, you know, I would really be interested in seeing um, and hearing from you on the outcomes of that study uh, for a future podcast, because I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of fear injected into the media and, and into my clients and they come to me and they're, you know, should I not? Should I drink milk? And And so for me personally, I'm a milk drinker, you know, and um, I see benefits for myself. And so I'm just curious about that, because that really, if it really is a primary um, precursor needed to increase glutathione in the brain for optimal brain aging. Um, And it's not just milk, right? Is it cheese and yogurt as well that is falling in that? um, So we saw a relationship with with, uh, multiple dairy items. So really all the dairy items had a relationship. Um, It was milk in particular that we saw the strongest. So that was the reason why we we isolated milk as our intervention, but um, we're actually really interested in seeing uh, whether any of the other items like uh, like yogurt intervention or maybe um, even like a whey protein or something like that might have a a similar similar effect. Those might be some future questions. It's really trying to dissect out what's in milk. We know that the uh, riboflavin and L-cysteine is needed for the production of glutathione. So is it just that 
or is it something else? Well, we're, we're going to have to bring you back on in a future uh, podcast, but I, I really want to thank you for joining me today. Um, that's Matthew Taylor from Kansas University Medical Center. Thank you again for listening in to Figure Facts for Life podcast. Be sure to subscribe and stay in the know on cutting edge dietetic nutrition information and hop over to Facebook and like us, Figure Facts LLC, also on Insta at Figure Facts LLC. Remember to fuel, nourish, and heal those bodies with the foods you choose. I'm Roberta Gennaro, and ciao, ciao for now.